Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, along with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah. Thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. Without you, we're nothing. We love you. Thank you so much. Today, we are honored to have with us, evidently, he's a BMX biker, but he's also an author, and I think that's what we're here to talk about. That's the big thing, because we can't really say too much about BMX tricks. I broke a bike once when I sat on it. The man that we're speaking with today is the author of the new awesome book, The Library of the Dead, T.L. Huchu. Thank you so much for being on the show, T.L. Thank you guys for having that, man. Your podcast is super dope. Oh, and I should you. add, I'm also a distance runner just to make you feel fat, man. you know. Fuck you, buddy. Fuck you and fuck this. I I have no abilities. I have to go to a lung doctor. That's what they're telling me now. Yeah, apparently apparently Henry got a smoker, so he's just been smoking meats like Mark Zuckerberg. And uh, evidently that raises the cholesterol. It doesn't help you thrive in life. Just all the smoked barbecue meat. Come on, if, if I had known, I'd be like chatting with couch potatoes. I, I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, uh, we're not the same room. With my life. <laughs> <laughs> I well, would do this. <laughs> it is great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. I know you're near Edinburgh. It's after midnight where you are, and we uh, we had a chance to actually explore that region a little bit uh, t- in 2019. We did a bit of a tour out there, and I must say. What a fun, spooky town that is. I want to pick your brain because your your book, Library of the Dead, is essentially like you're doing. This is your first fantasy novel, but this is about like the ghosts of Edinburgh. Ooh. Correct. You are correct. Have you ever experienced a paranormal event in Edinburgh? I wish I had. I mean, when I was a student and, and sort of like going out a lot and, and, and getting smashed and all the rest of that stuff yeah. that I won't do now because I'm older, you know, the, the, you there's just these parts of the city that kind of have this like spooky feel to them. Mm-hmm. But I've never actually seen anything. I mean, I know of people who have kind of 
witnessed manifestations of some sort, but it's never happened to me. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing that always happens to someone else, so it seems. It's maybe someone who would be truly horrified by it. It's the same reason that uh, Henry Zabrowski will never see an alien. I'll probably be the one getting anally probed and just being like, are you guys Packers fans? Because I don't want it. Henry wants it so much. So bad. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you're looking too hard for uh, ghost love and they, they avoid you. That's the thing about it is it's like, Especially with aliens, I, I, I'd love to meet them. I, I, I'm one of those people that don't believe we're the only ones there. Um, of course. I'm also not particularly religious. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lapsed Catholic, an atheist. Yes. So I believe this reality is all there is. But, you know, every so often the floorboards creak when you're at home at night and you do get this feeling that mm, there might just be a little bit more there. So... I don't know, but when it comes to writing about ghosts, it's 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 fun, man. It, it's a lot of fun because ghosts, they don't just represent like a spiritual kind of entity. For me, they represent uh, an interaction with history, with the yeah. past. You know, this is the right. past seeping into the present because we all have this like idea that time is linear, right? We are in the present kind of hurtling into the future and, and the past is is a whole different country. But if you really think about it, you know, the past is with us all the time. Right. Yeah. It's what, you know, it's pretty much what constructs the present. And so for me, I use the ghosts to play around with Scottish history. So there's a lot of Scottish history in the novel. Um, and as the series progresses, you will find that I'll be bringing in these big characters from Scottish history and yeah that's the whole idea behind the library of the dead we just getting it getting started seriously man edinburgh of all of the places i've we've been talk about a place really you can see the history i mean uh, in america there's bones we have in, no there's history. bones in all the walls yeah like i have never felt so surrounded by ghosts as i did in edinburgh like you go there and they i feel like there is more that in that environment where you go and you uh you can really see the buildings that are hundreds and hundreds of years old that have been the same that for forever and that edinburgh also has like a very fucked up dark history as well oh definitely 100 percent. i mean you get the sort of like sanitized touristy you know right. gothic vibe that's going on now but the past is pretty brutal and one of the things that i do in the novel um because what you find when you read it is is that it is not edinburgh as it is today now some people have said it's a bit of a dystopian edinburgh but pretty much i brought in elements of the past into this timeline that I'm writing. And so you get electric vehicles alongside horse-drawn carts and stuff like that's that nice. that's supposed to fuck with the reader, right? Um, but the Edinburgh that you see today is also a bit of an illusion in the sense that it's a pretty big city. Uh, most people only come in and they see that sort of the old town and the new town in the center, right? And it gives you that history and that grandeur. And now you got the, the Harry Potter connection, too, right? So then you have the whole Harry Potter was written there. So it has all of that weird kind of tourism. Now, Disneyfication, like, perhaps. Yo, why do you think we're all writing fantasy now? It's like, where's my billion bucks? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll but get no, there it, soon. 
Edinburgh is like this great place to be a writer because there's like a strong literary history. If you think of, um, what was the dude who wrote Jekyll and Hyde? Uh, uh, Stevenson. R. Lewis Stevenson, you know? yeah. Yep. Uh, you think of, you know, um, Walter Scott, the historical novelist. I could go on and on. Yes. Uh, it, it's a great place to be a writer, but that Edinburgh that you see constantly sort of like represented in film um, and in art isn't all there is to Edinburgh. Now, I live on the outskirts of the city on an estate called Westerhells, which is kind of like a post-war development. It's, n- it's not the, ca- the, the part of Edinburgh that you find on postcards, sure. for yes. example. Yeah, we drove through it. We drove. I remember driving through the UK and you were like, oh, it's not all castles and shit. Like no, there it's is like quaint. a whole, it's like you've got these beautiful, there's also some very small towns. Like we drove some very pretty, pretty small towns that it's not till you get into actual Edinburgh and you like see all like, oh, there's like a, there's like a magic castle in the middle of this. There you go. And, and, and that's the thing. When you think about the UK as a whole, which includes sort of like England, Wales and, you know, Northern Ireland, um, you find what they pedal to the rest of the world, right? Is yeah. sort of like this downtown Abbey vibe, <laughs> but that's not most of the UK. That's kind of like a heritage industry thing, which is excellent because there is a lot of like heritage and stuff, but the reality of living there, you know, is, is, is radically different from that. I, I myself am from Zimbabwe. I'm from a small mining town called Bindura, which is like, 80 kilometers north of Harare in the capital. And Zimbabwe is like an ex-British colony, kind of right. like you guys, but it just took us a little bit longer to get independence because we didn't, you know, go around throwing tea into the sea or whatever yeah, it you is messed you guys up. You have in got, America. You got to make the water tasty. You got to make it good, then you just <laughs> sip it, and that gives you energy. You have to really hate taxes. Yes. Yeah, and, and the Brits love tea as well. So, I mean, chucking oh, that tea, was, it was that's, just an that's affront. sacrilegious. Oh, it was ridiculous what, what they did. Who needs bullets when you have tea? It's the only <laughs> racist thing done against British people. <laughs> but we're, again, we're speaking with we're speaking with T.L. Huchu, the author of The Library of the Dead. But what's the bit? So obviously, like, uh, I'm certain it's very different. But what's like the major differences, like going from Zimbabwe to Edinburgh? Like, how does that change your well, especially perspective especially as an in the context of uh, spirituality, ghosts. Um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to this realm that you deal with uh, in the book, was that something that you grew up with in Zimbabwe? Was that something that was expressed? And then when you moved to Edinburgh, you know, out of the frying pan into the fryer, because both of these places are steeped in in mystical uh, history. Uh, did you did you take that experience as a child and and bring it with you? And then as you're writing this book, I wonder how that influenced the uh, the words that were jotted down. Yeah, that's that's a tricky one for me, because like. Zimbabwe, again, like I said, is like uh, an ex-British colony. Um, And so a lot of the things that we know about Britain aren't very surprising to me. And in fact, the disappointment that you get is it's not as shiny and as glossy as what they sold to us, right? Of course. Um, But when I think about ghosts and stuff, I mean, loads of people in in Zimbabwe are like religious. I mean, Mm -hmm. ghosts, the supernatural, that's just like a fact of life, Um, you know. I told you about being raised Catholic and, and all that, but I was never really like a firm believer and stuff. I just went to church cause you know, you had you to, to, everyone else was, was doing that kind of thing. Yeah. But so when I moved over, you know, I recognized those elements of, you know, 
the culture, the Scottish and 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 British culture that had been imported in in into Zimbabwe, and, and what I now sort of like do, and and this is one of the things that I enjoyed the most while writing this novel is bringing those two cultures together. Like Ropa Moyo is the hero of our novel. She's a ghost stalker. So she talks to ghosts cool. for a living and it's, it's a really low paid job. It's mundane. You know, she receives a message. She comes over to you and says, well, this is your dad, granddad, pay me and I'll tell you what he's saying. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a great concept. Well, you got to mix. You have to mix ghost hunting with capitalism. That's the only way this is going to work. Exactly, because think about it. We monetize everything. Everything. Especially now hustle culture and the quarantine has made it so like, they're like, oh, you like playing the flute? You should try to do that on TikTok. Try to make that money. Like it's (laughs) it's, it's, this bullshit. No one can have a hobby. That's what it is. And, And when I was working on this particular novel, I thought, okay, if magic existed in the real world, we would monetize it. It would just be a job like any other. It It wouldn't be... This special, ooh, there's magic, right? Because think about, there's a lot of cool stuff on our planet right now. You know, if if you think about the technology that we're using to talk just now, this is amazing stuff, but we don't go, oh my God, we're speaking on Zoom or whatever. It's it's so amazing. We we don't do that. It's it's just kind of part of our normal reality. And if magic existed, it would be an ordinary thing that some people do, other people are not so interested. And, you know, if you think of how some people are scientific, skeptics right they don't believe in the vaccine they still yes. believe the earth is flat there'll still be enough people that don't even believe magic exists right um and that's, that's the reality that i'm trying to sort of like work into this novel so you find Ropa speaks to ghosts and she passes on, passes on messages but the instrument she uses is this the mirror which is sort of like a thumb piano it's a wooden board with metal keys that's used in shona spiritual ceremonies in Zimbabwe and she's doing that out in Scotland so you get this cultural fusion but there isn't that you know I know it's fashionable these days to have these like culture clashes and and like oh my god identity issues but nah it's just a reality that's so on the money because that is such a, a thing that I think that people when they're making stuff about the future or alternative histories, alternative presence, where they do that kind of shit, where they're like, ooh, this crazy, like they act like something's really crazy, but that's not how real world would actually work. A real built universe, all of these things would be taken for granted within the universe. So you just have these tools, like it's just a tool, and then you bounce off those tools and you get into, well, what's the next step? What's the deeper part of this plot? And what does it mean? My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put 
photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. Well, I'm interested, TL, as far as some of the research and prep that you did as well for this book, because, you know, it says fiction, but uh, in order to write a piece of fiction, you have to have a lot of real knowledge. Um, was there anything that you explored when writing this that you were like, this is a like to to steal a Oprah saying, did you have an aha moment when you were doing research? <laughs> oh, and you're oh like, my this God, is, Kissel. Are you channeling Oprah? Oprah? <laughs> I channel Oprah all the freaking time. I just ate two pounds of mac and cheese last night. Oh, that is honestly the most Oprah thing you've done. I do a lot of Oprah stuff. I hang she out with my guy books. friends. We pretend we're not gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but did you have any of those? Uh, did you have an experience when, when uh, going through Edinburgh and you're like, this just hit me? 
because I remember one of the things um, that uh, that somebody told me in the church of Edinburgh, they used to just have the guillotine. And they would bring it out and they would like guillotine a bunch of and people. And everyone's like, yay, 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 yay. And then they put it in the back and then they're like, now it's time for the sermon. Like it was just, speaking of normalizing. The blood used these, to just run under the feet. I love that story. It's it's just so trippy. And speaking of normalizing, what we would say is like, that seems extreme. And they were like, and now it's time for lunch. Was there anything that, that stood out to you and you're like, that's a great point for this book. Like that's a great fucking angle. The book starts off, um, I did the short story called Ghost Stoker that was published in 2015. And I had the, you know, the idea of Ropa Moyo, the, the main character. Um, but I wanted, originally wanted to set it in my hometown of Bindura in Zimbabwe, but it was a bit too small and I just needed a larger canvas to work it on. Now, Edinburgh is great because even though it's a small city, um, what it lacks sort of like in, in sort of like the spatial dimension, it's got this deep history and that gives you that temporal layer that you want to work with. So I did quite a bit of, you know, research on, on Scottish history, uh, particularly the Scottish Enlightenment, which, which is a very, very interesting historical period. Um, really? Well, we, were, sort of we like, were recently there. I didn't know they went through that period um, because they just tried to fight me at like eight o'clock in the morning. I just remember a lot of people being hammered, being like, big man, get over here, big man. I was like, I can't fight right now. Please stop <laughs> challenging me. You must have been in Glasgow. Edinburgh is yes, a lot we more civilized. Oh, yeah, we were in Glasgow. <laughs> So as I was doing this book, now, the fascinating thing about Edinburgh, because it's so full of this rich history that's so easily accessible, you know, stuff comes at you that you originally wouldn't have worked out. So when I was looking for the entrance for the Library of the Dead, so the library is set in Carlton Hill, which is like in the city center. And... I was looking for a cool entrance and there's all these old graveyards nearby. And I went yeah. into old Carlton burial, the old Carlton burial yard, which is kind of where they used to bury like Jews because they couldn't be buried in the Christian cemeteries back in the day. And the atheist, anyone who didn't quite fit in was buried out there. Yeah, they had um, yucky bones. So they had to yeah, be in the, the yucky bone bones. yard. Yeah, makes all yeah. the sense in the world. Yeah. So I noticed this really beautiful round mausoleum and i thought that's gonna make a cool entrance but guess who's buried there david hume the famous philosopher right i'm like okay i'm gonna use this Hume, what do i know about hume skepticism uh empiricism just the big contribution he made to philosophy and science by by extension right so now my society of magicians is called the society of skeptical inquirers because cool. There's that legacy that Hume has. Yeah. But guess who Hume's best friend was? Adam Smith, the Adam Smith economist, right? And wow. so I'm dealing with this magic system that's very, very commercial. So in a sense, the writing process, it's almost like a call and response thing. You come in with an idea, the city gives you something, and then you make these cost adjust adjustments as you're writing. And really, it's, it's I had a plan when I started, but every so often I get these ideas coming from the city itself that just alters the direction in which I'm moving. Um, and that was just one of those key incidents where it happened and it wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world, I don't think. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think so. It's such a unique city. And you also said the word like deep because it's literally deep. Like the idea of Edinburgh it sounds, I, I, thought of, I thought of spiritual high rises or is, uh, yeah. 
it's really interesting how how deep underground the city goes and how much shit happened under the ground. Like all of the people that died there, like how many like the, the reading about the Scottish genocide was so intense, like all of these people just getting wiped out and just buried miles and miles and miles underground, like gets to a point like, you know, it's asking it's filled it, with ghosts. It is. I think um, even the English were appalled back in sort of like the 17th, uh, 16th century. I mean, Scotland used to just kill witches at an industrial rate. I, I think in America you had, was it like, is it Salem or something yeah, like that? Salem, yeah, we had, we had we the, got the Salem witch trials. It didn't seem like it yeah. lasted as long as it did in Edinburgh. We got the, We did it all in one big go. In America. Yeah, you guys do things big. Uh, but One in month. the old world, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I mean. Things tend to drag on. But, you know, that was one of the, the amazing things also, you know, to be an ignorant American uh, in this in this sentiment. We are such a new nation. We are a nation that, you know, well, we are we, we are 250 years old. So when you go to a place like Edinburgh and you even see the gravestones that say like 1100 to 1130 and you're like, like I didn't know that people I mean, I lived then. It, they it, call my house an old house. My house was built in 1940. Exactly. You know I mean? They're so like, oh, just, what an old house I live in. We don't have that history and we don't have that connection to the past. But what you do have, um, and, and this is sort of like one of the, the, the funny things, I'll, I'll go back to say old Carl Hooters. We have Hooters. <laughs> we have we got the Hooters. We, the, honestly, now, we're, we're nailing until the tipper gores of the world take the Hooters away. And then where am I going to get my wings? If you think about it, that burial ground also has this um, cenotaph, which is dedicated to the, to the Scots who fought in in America during um, the Civil War. So so there is this history there um, of these like Scottish intellectuals and thinkers that wound up in America and that helped sort of like in the founding and the building of America. If, if, if you think about, I mean, even figures like Frederick Douglass, you know, when he used to go around the world, he came to Edinburgh and gave speeches then and, and, you know, talking about the abolition of, of, of slavery and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, and he found great support in Scotland because one of the curious things, well, you know, you guys had slavery out in America, um, in Scotland, you know, there's the case of uh, a dude called Waterben who, you know, brought his slave over, you know, to America and, and you know, people are like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Um, because it just wasn't the done thing in Scotland. It was something right. that happened out in the colonies and there was a court case um, and the courts in, in, in Scotland said, no, well, we, we can't have this here. And, and, and the dude was freed. So there's all this, wow. this history and this back and forth between America and Scotland that's there. And, and these are some of the things that I'm exploring in this series. I mean, the first book, The Library of the Dead, that's the setup. But some of these histories are going to be unearthed as, as we go along. It's, it's, it's fascinating. How many books do you have planned? I have five planned. You know, I'm, Holy I'm, one, of those guys, I'm one of those guys that, you know, um, I don't like soap operas. Because when I watch something, I want something with an end right. in sight. Dude, I'm the same fucking way. I have a hard time with the TV shows that go forever and ever and ever. I like an ending. Yeah, and and you also get the sense sometimes when you watch something that's really good and you think, 
now they they're just keeping this thing going just to get our money just to get us to watch etc but it's done the idea is done and and i don't want to mean be the like guy your your, like, your words to god's ears honestly i needed to get one of those jobs where i'm on television for 25 <laughs> seasons oh, like i'm fine nice. with that i want one of those but i don't like to watch them but i want to be on one <laughs> i guess yeah but I guess it happens for a reason, right? It's if, if people like something, you know, you you keep it going. It keeps everyone in work. I I can understand it, but there's a frustration for me as the viewer just watching something that was really good deteriorate, and you're yes. like, come on, just put this thing out of its its misery. Um, yeah, yes, take it behind the barn and shoot it in the head. We're speaking, yeah. with, we're speaking with T.L. Huchu, again, the author of The Library of the Dead. I'm interested because a lot of our listeners are, you know, they're, they're authors in their own right. When it comes to doing a five book arc, do you have all of this organized already? Or as we were talking about a little bit earlier, where inspiration strikes when it strikes, are you, how do you, how much do you plan and how much of a foundation do you give yourself before you start hunting for your ideas and really figuring out a five book story arc? Because you know, Henry and I, uh, we, we've worked in the literary world slightly. Our, our friend Marcus Parks did a little bit more in, in the regard of actually writing the book, but we know that system a little bit. Do, do you have this like, uh, you know, like uh, all penned out or are you yeah. just sort of letting it open itself to you? Is your agent like, what oh have God. you Don't done? Don't even bring up agents. Henry, we're trying to have a pure conversation. <laughs> um, you know. The thing about it is, is I, I think the great Mike Tyson once said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. So I came in with an idea and a plan, and I'm constantly having to make course corrections because one thing you don't want to do is to force your characters to fit the schema. You've got to sort of like give them the freedom to make their decisions. So what's been happening over time is the plan's been changing and evolving. So I kind of know the the main points and but the journey to get to those points, you know, it's it's gone in a very different direction to what I'd originally anticipated. Is that horrifying or comforting? Oh, it's horrifying. Is yeah. I, I like being in control of, of, of my material, but but you've got to let go, man. You you've got to let go and and just, you know, feel your way through the process. Otherwise, you're going to have something that's a bit meh. So and, what and is so that's what's so fascinating, because you are in control of the process. You're the one creating these characters. But then there's something that there's that some you authors where you're just like, no, it's guiding me. And it's it, so cerebral and crazy. I wanted to ask that because some authors talk about it like that, like the idea that like their characters talk back and they're like you all of a sudden you're like your character kind of just just doing what it's going to do through your fingers. It almost seems like a possession. Oh man, it, it it is that weird. Yeah, it, it is very weird because when I'm writing, uh, I find even when I'm sending emails, because this book has, has its own sort of like style and tone and stuff, I find even the way I use language is a bit different when I'm actually working on it because it uses quite a bit of slang, a lot of Scots and stuff like that. And I use proper syntax and 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 it then becomes a bit weird when someone sends you like a formal email and and you've got these f's and shits and stuff because you know your mind has been you know you you've been so into this thing you you in the zone but but you get do get this flow where it doesn't exactly feel like you're thinking about it shit is just coming at you and and you're working through it that's the first draft stage mm. 
the technical skill comes like when you start doing like the subsequent drafts, when you kind of editing the work and chopping and changing and, and, and then that's a very different skill set. But initially you kind of go with, you know, you feel your way through it. Uh, I know it's, it's, it's kind of fashionable to, because, you know, writing literature, it, it, it's not science and stuff. And, and we try to make it seem mystical and difficult because we want to justify our existence as authors, right? To say <laughs> what we're doing is like so important, but it's play as well. This is me, you know, nearly 40, but doing the kind of stuff that kids do every day, making right. up stories and, and they, you know, you just work through it. It's, it's, it's instinct is a big part of it. I think. I find that with the difference between a professional artist and people who like to do things for fun or write things for fun is that you have to, I guess, find a way to get out of your own way and allow yourself to be authentic on one side, one side where you are, you are as connected to your authentic self as you can. And you can then express it with no obstruction, which is actually very difficult. Like the mm -hmm. idea of like getting from the pure part of you and getting it to the page. Cause I think that that is being authentic is the most difficult thing in the world. And then the second thing is that you also have to learn how to write in a way that makes sense. Cause then you, I think everybody thinks, oh, you could just write it out. And then also like, no, 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 you have to find a way. It has to read in a way. It has to, it has to be gramma grammatically make sense. Yeah. And those are like the technical sort of skills you pick up over time, right? This is not my, my first rodeo. I mean, I've been writing since the early sort of like 2000s. And what I was doing then, you know, at the time I thought I was, producing these works of monumental genius but no <laughs> yeah. i i didn't have i didn't have the craft but you pick those up over time you know thank god for the ego in the beginning out of the mouths of babes because that's also what keeps you going where you're like i think i nailed it i remember i we think used i to, crushed that from a, one from a broadcaster <laughs> perspective we've done shows for years and i remember the third week that we ever recorded i was like i think we've reached peak radio pretty uh, sure we, we did. figure you this go thing back out. and you're listening and you're just like wow this hot is garbage <laughs> unreal that we that i said that what is happening i know that feeling all too well man and it, it sucks but i think you need that ego because if, if you really think about it, going to any bookstore and there's so many books there, no one needs your fucking book. Let's be honest. Right. But <laughs> when you're young and, 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 and you're the shit, right. You're like, you know, I'm, I'm like the next Charles Dickens or whatever, you know, I can do it. And then you get knocked on your ass because you get rejections and stuff. And then you realize you have to learn the craft, but without that initial kind of like punch in the face. Yeah. Without that, you couldn't do it otherwise, man. I, I think all artists, you know, on a podcast like this, you, you're meant to be humble and stuff, but all artists think they're the shit. Now Absolutely. I know a lot of writers and, and I would never date one because I know they're all <laughs> <laughs> the most egotistical people alive, man. Think about your poor girlfriend. My, I mean, and what how, she has to do and how she is, has to support you. And yeah, you just, when you go in there to the factory, you have to go into the writing factory and she hears the clicks of the typewriter and she's like, oh, I can't interrupt him because he'll come out with the croquet mallet. <laughs> yeah, my poor girlfriend is like doing a PhD, man. So Holy shit. Oh, she's actually doing something that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's doing shit that matters. I know at the end of the day, it's that's at the end of the day, I respect a construction worker more than all three of us combined. 
because <laughs> I can't build a fucking highway. I can't. If, if it was just us three, if artists controlled the world, this would be horrible. See, and that's the thing exactly because when I think about it, and and I did have times when I was younger and and angsty, going through like this existential shit. Was like, oh my god, this is so hard. Then I had to do real fucking jobs, man. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. whatever I did, like working as a barista in coffee shops and, and stuff, that is oh, yeah. real actual it's, meaningful It's hard, dude. Work, right? Oh, so, yeah, 15 hours <laughs> on your feet, having people curse your that. face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this pandemic because in a way it showed us the people that really met. I mean, things I are kind so. of gradually getting back to normal now and we kind of like fuck you to all the delivery drivers and all the essential kind of like people that are there, the nurses, et cetera. We, we don't give a fuck about them anymore, but I think there was something <laughs> yeah, no one's really doing, revealing. In America, we were doing this thing for a hot period of time where people would come out at six o'clock and bang pots and pans to say thank you to the nurses. <sighs> and I was like, send them money. The last thing they want to hear is more sounds <laughs> yeah. of bedpans clinging together. They need yeah. money. I, I mean, out here, we were kind of like clapping for them on, on Thursdays and shit like that. And, and, I think they got like a 1% pay rise or something. <laughs> yeah, give them the money for crying out loud. Uh, anyway, again, we're speaking with uh, T.L. Huchu, the author of The Library of the Dead. Check this book out. It is the getting on the ground floor of this series. I'm really excited to read this. It's going to be a big-ass arc. When you started writing, how did you start? Did you start like blogs? Did you start on the internet? Or did you were you just writing stories and submitting them on your own? Yeah, How if well, someone then, wants to get into it on the ground floor, how do you do that? Without becoming a Scientologist, because all the Comic-Con things are just like, right, sci-fi. And then you find out this is all about Scientology. (laughs) It's kind of fun. I I wouldn't start out the way I did, man. I I was in my 20s, got hooked on like Dostoevsky and those like 19th century Russians. Um, At the time I was reading them, they, they really were like speaking to you know, the 21st century Zimbabwean experience. Um. If, if you ask me, Dostoevsky is like the great Zimbabwean novelist, but really? I got into it and I was like, okay, let me do it. I didn't even have a laptop or anything like that at the time. That's how fucking broke I was, man. Yeah. So I was writing, you know, by hand on pen and paper, like it was the 19th century. I mean, <laughs> my, my, my wrist game, you know, at the time I didn't have a girlfriend. So as you can imagine, my wrist game was oh, right. Yeah. So I could write. The strongest for, thing. <laughs> I mean, it must have been horrible getting all that ink on your cock, though. Just <laughs> oh, writing, writing, jerking off, writing, jerking off. We talk I mean, about the life of a broke-ass author. <laughs> Every writer, we, we talk about nothing yeah. makes me more furiously masturbate than having a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> right this is my career dead man you know just because i spoke with you guys you know no, everyone's no. gonna be like what a wanker right yeah. <laughs> yeah. no we already get it but, we absorb it for you thank you thank you uh, but um yeah I, you know and, and i just started writing i i didn't know any i didn't know any writers i i'd never been to like a literary festival or anything like that so i got a copy of like the writers and artists yearbook and started sending my my crappy shit out uh you know after i typed it out you know um don't ask me where i got the laptop because i had this like old secondhand thing that still used floppy disks and oh, then yeah. I would go out to, to work and print out my stuff because you still had to send stuff by paper back in 
in 2003. Everything really changed over like three or four years. Because I remember the same thing, paper paper headshots, like having to get oh, everything yeah. printed out and then you show up with a pack of paper. Like, And then it was like, it became digital like over nine months. And and then it was immediately done. No more paper. Well, and of course that process accelerated uh, after 2020 as well. I mean, now it's, it's great because you can YouTube how to be a writer. You can YouTube how to get published. I mean, Guys like Brandon Sanderson, you can get their lectures online, you know, if, if you want to write fantasy. There is so much material on Google. I mean, every so often I, I, I get sort of like young writers starting out just emailing me, asking for advice. And, you know, when I look at it, it it's like most of the stuff is available to you online if, if you just Google it. I mean, it's, it's nice to, to speak with someone. Right. Um, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. MFAs, creative writing courses and, and stuff like that. But I still think deep down for me, because of the way I started it, that writing is a very sort of like solitary thing. It's just you and the white blank page and and you do your thing. I mean, that's where the art happens. Afterwards, you've got your editors, your literary agents, etc. So it becomes more of a collaborative thing, even though it's your name on the cover. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of people. Shout out to my guys at Talk. Uh, who published oh, yeah. The Library of the Dead. Tor's right. great, too. And and it's nice. I mean, talking about having a talented editor being the difference between you sucking and not. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly, you know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right? I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right? My job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be. To motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey. 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. Now I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Absolutely. So would you identify as an introvert? Nah, I... I... I'm I'm kind of in between. I, I I like solace and and I like time alone, but but I also like people, man. Uh, so that's you know, sort of a perfect. People. It seems like a perfect combination <laughs> to create a writer because I don't know. I'm going to speak for Henry. I'm just going to take it because even if he disagrees with me, I'm going to disagree with him. But I like we like a reaction. We I need like a reaction. Speak, I'm desperate. You know, it's just reaction. so nice when you're in front of a live audience and you say something, even if they don't like it, you're like, no, that didn't work. Or obviously you want the uh, you want the acceptance. And in our case, the laughter or the deep thought. But when it comes to writing, you don't get that. It's a prolonged, delayed process. And that requires a lot of self-faith. Uh, and it requires, obviously, a, a network, as you were talking about. But how is that process for you when writing and how do you when you when you hit the final period or exclamation mark or whatever the hell you ended your book with, how do you like what what is that when you're like, I'm done? Do you get immense? Is it like satisfaction or is it immense panic? Because now it's time for the judgment zone. Oh, God. I mean, I won't <laughs> lie to you. There is like a lot of neurosis involved in the process because there's there's two sort of like separate strands to it. Um, but I should say before I go on with this that doing stand-up or even acting where like you in front of people that is a lot harder man that because you know not you to have us. to put no. yourself out sitting there. in a room i would have, literally no have you I, ever bombed man have you ever yes. bombed i i would just yes, die if i bombed i would rather bomb in front of people than sit in a room and have to write a limerick I mean, I am bombing when I'm writing alone. Like, I know I'm bombing. Like, because you, it's your silence. So as I sit and I write, I'm like, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks the entire time. Yeah, that's the thing. It no. wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like no play or you know, whatever. All that that thing that Jack wrote from the study would just be like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. I I will take like that rejection email that comes in and stabs you through the heart anytime because it's 
it's a private moment. You get your Kleenex and you weep and, and then you go on social media and try to pretend everything's all right and you're the coolest person alive, right? Yeah, of but, course. <laughs> and I'm sure that's the only thing you use the Kleenex for as well. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm you did it. You now. actually you set yourself up this. for that. You actually did that. That's, that's a your cheap fault. shot, man. It was cheap. You set it up. I just, there was a layup. <laughs> but yeah, but I do enjoy the process that comes later on when, when you are working with, with, the editor, you know, my, my literary agent, Jamie Cohen at the Amberson Agency, he was an editor as well. So it starts there. And then I work with Bella Pagan at, at Tor. And one of the weird things is like, when you send your manuscript out there, you think like, well, this is dope. But after you've done a couple of rounds of editing and, you know, you've had your copy edits and your proofreading and you read the thing later, you're like, shit, this is, this kind of sounds like something that you know, it reads like something that I would buy in a bookstore. You know, it, it's a lot sharper and, and their contribution to what you do is, is immense. And it's a give and take process. It's, it's, it's not like they're dictating what, what you do. Yeah, right. You have these interesting conversations and they also kind of get you, they notice things that you might not notice because you're so close to, to the work itself. And after that's done, it's a relief. I mean, I will contest that initially when I get my edit, my reaction is like, well, fuck you, man. You, <laughs> you don't get it. Yeah. But you put them aside for a week or two, you come back and you see that they make perfect sense. Because if you're working with a great editor, one of the things that they will do is sort of like indicate to you that they understand what it is you're doing. And once they do that, you know, you will trust them. Absolutely. And then you also are the arbiter. Right. So there are probably things that you still have to fight for in certain aspects. Right. You'd have to probably say, well, this is very important to me that you want to cut. And then you have to kind of figure it out. Right. Yeah. Was there anything in the book specifically that you that you were like, no, this is st the kid stays in the picture. This is happening because without this and, uh, the, you know, then things can't go forward. Was there, was there any point that you can give just a little sample to our audience about? Uh, just a character you fought for or a plot you fought for, again, in the library of the dead. Unless they're just always correct. And, and uh, you just go like, oh, please, thank you. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> no, they, I mean, they get most things, most things, right? I mean, some of the differences, I, I think, are just kind of like um, stylistic as to when certain information is revealed to the reader. Uh, because I'm sort of like building up uh, a kind of like complex sort of like argument to do with with history and the way the world works. And so I actually need time to bring in certain elements before I reveal certain things. Um, and, and that's usually kind of like where we have backs and forths. And, and it's like the editor is like, yeah, but what does this mean? This doesn't make any sense to the reader. For, for example, um, you know, most people think the, the the book is set in a dystopian kind of Edinburgh, and, and people greet when people greet each other, they say "God save the king." So you can kind of tell that there is sort of like a dictatorship or an autocracy based on sort of like a powerful monarch going on. That's dope. But you don't quite know the reasons for it. And now I could have front loaded that information. But that information, the reason the monarch is there also has to do with the role magic played in society. But I'm writing from Ropamoyo's perspective and my character doesn't know some of this information yet. So I can't 
do that reveal yet. You know, it, it, it's going to come, but I need a bit more time to set it up properly. But those are the things. And, and, and when you have those conversations, it's because they kind of get it. They, they, they're like, okay, there's this missing component. They notice that. And so when you say, then yeah, but you know, we need a couple more books as we move towards, yeah. That's my favorite kind of sci-fi and fantasy when you just jump in. I really, I, it's my favorite when you just, you're in a world. It's like, yes, there's some, there are things you don't yet understand, but that's kind of what draws you into the book is the idea that you're like, all right, well, this has got something to do with something. And eventually they'll tell me, or this is the worst book ever made. Like, right. like there'll be something where I'll at least know sort of what's going on. But then like a book like Dahlgren or one of these other things that are sp- like specifically a mystery that you're supposed to, you're, the world itself is a mystery that you constantly have to decipher as you read. And, and what I think about it as well, um, you know, you spot on with, with that analysis. Fucking Dalgren blew my mind, but I still don't, couldn't tell no you what clue. I fucking read. Today. I don't know what that book's <laughs> about, but I know I love that book. Yeah, the, the language is, is, is outstanding, but I mean, that's Delaney. But for me, it, it's like, I think about the world in which we live, right? And what we perceive. So, you know, I don't think you go about thinking, well, this is happening because Biden, right? I mean, most of the time you're not thinking about those things. You Like there's this, if, if you were writing a book about America and you're like, there's this great president called Biden, the one who came after <laughs> Trump, right? yeah, it, it would be a bit lame. And, and, and so I'm trying yes. to have that sort of like real world feel in which like the characters live in this reality. So for them, it's not like some big surprise. It's, it's just, Ropa is kind of young. She's she's 14 going on 15. So politics and stuff like that doesn't really matter to her, even though the results of the politics are evident in that world. But like right. any typical teenager, this this stuff is like beyond her. But she's gradually being dragged into sort of like a magical society where some of these things that have happened in the past to create that sort of like dystopic Edinburgh are going to play out. Does this make any sense? Of course. I mean, it reminds It just sounds, you have to lay the breadcrumbs out in a way where people get rewarded a little bit, but you, you they still got to walk further to get rewarded a little bit. And by the end of it, they've read the entire book and they love the series. And then it's the, uh, their perspective is what's really important. And you're writing it from that. Like, that's the idea of like encapsulating how you, a kid's not going to give a shit really who's president until it really matters to them. And, and, and that's what I'm doing. But you're also working in a, in a situation where, I mean, the 19th century reader would give you like a lot of time. I mean, think about fucking Vanity Fair where you, you get 100 pages of horses prancing about or shit like that before anything happens. Yes. But nowadays, readers aren't as forgiving and, and I can't blame them. I mean, I'm on my phone all the time. You've got to entertain me. So the, there is a balance to be struck between you know, the work of art you're trying to create and, you know, how far, you know, the reader will come along on this journey for you. And and that's, again, that is the editor's role to kind of indicate some of these things to you to say, okay, this is your vision, but we might need to tweak it here a little bit just to right. give the reader a little bit more in this particular moment in time, just to keep them invested in what's going on here. And, that, and I think that's, that, that is fair enough because, you know, I, I would like to be a sort of like, you know, the self-indulgent writer saying, oh, I'm, I'm such a genius. You, you're going to have to suck my cock anyway. 
Seriously. But really, there is someone at the other end, and and you've got to care about sort of like Absolutely. whether they're going to get it or not. Yeah. And at least Absolutely. they're not immediately just been like, "Where's the Ewoks? Where are the Ewoks? <laughs> I you gotta put the Ewoks. Some, put some Jar-Jar. Ewoks in this. We're gonna need Jar Jar." <laughs> Uh, you know, my, really, the only the only question I have left is when it comes to you're a 40 year old man, as we mentioned, nearly 40. I'm 39 and holding as well. I'm July 21st. When's your birthday? 28 September. That's when I turn 39. Ooh. Oh, you're not even almost 40. You're, you're just 30. a baby. Get out of here. These guys, you were all just babies. We're all Give young me a men. call when you've got tits like me. All right, buddy. Stop running. But when it comes to <laughs> taking your nearly 40 year old man brain. And trying to project the emotions of a 14 going on 15-year-old girl, how do you do that? Because even when I was playing Last of Us 2, the main character is a teenage girl going through it. And I'm like, I can't deal with these emotions right now. And that's a zombie Holocaust movie <laughs> or yes. video game. But like, how do you how do you put yourself in that mindset to make this character believable? Uh, does your girlfriend help with that? Like, how? I don't, I don't know. It just seems like it's a complex character for a nearly 40-year-old man to conquer. I mean, that, that's a tricky one because the way I sort of see it, I mean, you can do a bit of research, but if you do too much of that shit, you are going to default to your stereotypes, right? You think yeah. 14 year old girl. So you're going to come up with ridiculous shit. Like she's looking in the mirror all the time thinking oh, I'm not pretty and shit like that. Right. That's right. That's the kind of stereotype a, a guy my age would have about teenagers. All I know about teenage girls is from the music video for beautiful by Christina Aguilera. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, mean, I don't know what else they think. Are dated. I don't know. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a zennial. I'm a zennial. I'm not dated. <laughs> I, I, but, you know, I, I start with the character. So Ropa Moyo, for me, she's a strategist, right? She, she's a problem solver. And, and that's the key aspect of her personality that plays out in the film. In, in film. I haven't even sold film rights. Yeah, yeah, he's he's already talking, film, but it's happening. Now you're getting He's it. already talking. <laughs> so... Anyway, um, Priya is an adrenaline junkie, a thrill seeker. So that's kind of like her core characteristic. So I work with the core characters. I I try to find the person there. And then I add certain elements. I mean, I was lucky enough to be a teenager at one point in my life. I don't know if you guys were ever. I blocked it all out. I came out 37. Yep. <laughs> I just crawled out of my mother's vagina. I was like, I need a fucking beer. <laughs> With the beard. You know, yeah, only form. Horrible right? for his yeah. mom. Horrible. But that's what I'm sort of like doing now is is working on, on, on their personality and who they are as people and then kind of finding some teeny stuff to include in there. Because I, I think if you get the character right, the readers will forgive you for a lot of things. But the other thing as well is, I mean, this is fiction. So I was a dumb teenager. I wouldn't write about myself as a teen, but your teenage protagonist has to be interesting. So they have to be more than the normal teen, right? I mean, this is a girl who is going out finding missing kids. How many teenagers get to do that? And she battles villainous villains like the midnight milkman i mean you don't get to do that because your parents <laughs> will tell it. you go to bed you know? dude <laughs> so, honestly that's it. such a smart perspective i didn't even really think about that yeah you can't make a typical teenager it has to be an atypical teenager specifically people, people are atypical yeah i mean everyone's a bit weird um 
but you want to give them that extra oomph. Yeah. I love it. TL Hoochie. Uh, Henry, did you have anything else? Because I Dude, thought this was I'm just, just you were just so wonderful. Yeah, man. I'm so excited to read this book because I mean, like, in my mind, uh, I just like I love that idea. I love the, the machine suit. I'm excited. Hell yeah, yeah dude. It just and sounds- I can't even read. <laughs> no, I had my wife read it to me a long nights. Well, that's it's, a wonderful there's, way there's to do it. an invention called audiobooks. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh, I know. If you've heard of those. Audiobooks. <laughs> Wait a second. You're talking about plays? Oh, my God. T.L. Huchu, thank you so much for being on the show, man. We really appreciate it. I know it's very late where you are, um, but go ghost hunt or something. I don't know what people do at night in Edinburgh. Big and hammer. I can't believe I, I We were fairly certain you were going to be totally lit and completely drunk, but you're totally sober. You're so. one of the most sober Scottish people I've ever seen. The most, without a doubt, the most. Thank you very much. I think the only other sort of like sober Scott is Mel Gibson. Ooh. Well, but he had. But you know, Mel. Yeah, Mel, I, I he knows. Joke. I'm gonna get canceled now. No, no, it's no, fine. No, you're protected it. here. Mel, um, uh, he knows what women want. <laughs> he does. He knows what women want. You remember him to be sober. Uh, everyone wants Mel to be sober. We have to show grace for those. Don't just judge them at their lowest point. That's what I say. Mel. Wow. Mel is working on it for my understanding. All right, sugar tits. Hey, how well, you thank guys, you. This has been a lot of fun, man. You, you guys are insane and a bit crazy, but I love it. Um, your podcast is dope. Thank you for well, having me. You know, dude. Thank, thank you, you so man. Much. And, and also. Where should people get the book? Is there a specific pub? Is there a specific place you want people to get the book? Because I know sometimes uh, smaller bookstores are awesome. We always like to support them. Is is there a place that you would like people to get the book? Um, if you're in New York, the Strand, because they're doing sort of like it's it's their sci-fi or fantasy title of okay. the month. Oh, awesome! Well, yeah. but I worked at the Strand. Bookshop um, You know, support your local bookstores. Uh, Barnes and Noble, if you must, or the evil website that will not Ugh. be named. Yes, yes, indeed. Let's not mention the name. I think they got enough press. TL, thank you so much for being with us, man. Live from your grave. All right, there it was, our conversation with T.L. Huchu, the author of The Library of the Dead. Get this book wherever, uh, whatever, wherever you want to go. Support your local bookstore and get this book. Every single time we talk to one of these like really good authors, I start to think how like they just know how to do this so much better and we have no clue what we're doing when it comes comes to to writing these things yeah Yeah, that's why they're writers yeah because you think he could do you think that he could make the unbelievable humor that we do do any gas pumps work in this country do you think that he could think of that i feel like he could i honestly do think i think he could Okay. Well, T.L. Huchu, uh, <laughs> check out everything that he's working on right now. Honestly, what a sweet man. Very funny. Very and, funny. Uh, yeah, just fantastic. So thank you all so much for listening. We hope you're doing well out there. And thanks, you know, our Patreon. Thank you all so much uh, for giving to our Seriously, Patreon. Seriously, thanks for and, your money. Um, and don't we worry, have, we're putting it to good use. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, mostly yeah. going. It's mostly going to uh, family. Um, Mostly family and, and foster. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. But believe it or not, how nice is that to be able to help? And thank you for helping us because this is this is what it's all about. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you and hope you're well. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Magustalations. Hail Patreon. Oh, my God. Oh, thank I'm you, Patreon. I'm going to fucking shoot you. Hail Patreon. <laughs> thank you. We're done. I'm actually going to cancel us. I am canceling the show. Please stop it. Stop this. (laughs) You're a schmuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's my legal description.